0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 15, 2022. The podcast that picks locks with the Florida Keys. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's deoxidize the news of the bogus. Yet another attack on encryption, this time from the EU, who, apparently thinking 1984 to be an instruction manual, published a legislative proposal that, if passed into law, would basically make encryption illegal. To protect the children, you know. The law would compel Internet services, including hosting and messaging services, to automatically search every posting for child abuse material and report all hits to the government. Which of course can't happen if the messages are encrypted. The demands of the European Commission require plain text access to private messages, emails, social media posts, and all other user-generated content not only to search for existing material but to proactively prevent grooming, which is basically pre-crime, suspected future child abuse. They basically want an infrastructure for a massive new surveillance system, and it absolutely wouldn't be used for any other purpose! No siree, Bob, really, you can trust them, right? And if the government feels they aren't doing enough to find this material, which, of course, they always claim, they can get a court to issue detection orders. Hey, Brits, aren't you glad you did that Brexit thing now? The EFF said in a blog post, quote, The new proposal is overbroad, not proportionate, and hurts everyone's privacy and safety. By damaging encryption, it could actually make the problem of child safety worse, not better, for some minors. Abused minors, as much as anyone, need private channels to report what is happening to them. And the EU is taking this step after tooting their own horn for being the absolute all-time champions of privacy, via the completely disastrous GDPR. I guess they aren't even pretending anymore. Cybersecurity expert Matthew Green tweeted, This document is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. It is proposing a new mass surveillance system that will read private text messages, not to detect CSAM, but to detect grooming. To detect grooming is not simply searching for known CSAM, it isn't using AI to detect new CSAM, which is also on the table. It's running algorithms reading your actual text messages to figure out what you're saying, at scale. It is potentially going to do this on encrypted messages that should be private. It won't be good, and it won't be smart, and it will make mistakes. But what's terrifying is that once you open up machines reading your text messages for any purpose, there are no limits. Have to give the EU credit for going maximally creepy, and for demanding the existence of technology we don't really have yet. All at a time when they're moaning that Silicon Valley is doing too much surveillance. Of course, the final legislation could be vastly improved, but at the same time, it could be made even worse. As Green tweeted, I am so tired. It seems like every time people rally to fight off one bad surveillance proposal, an even more powerful organization pops up to devise a more invasive one. Is there no constituency out there for, just let me be, and don't spy on my private communications? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. It's been a while since we talked about e-cigarettes, but now there's a new study confirming that they're much safer than tobacco cigarettes and, in fact, switching to vapes from tobacco reduces the risk of heart disease by 34%. The study, published on the 6th in the journal's circulation, looked at the years 2013-2019 to using a longitudinal design following 32,000 adults. The use of e-cigs and tobacco were assessed, as were heart attacks, heart failure, stroke, and other forms of heart disease. It looked at e-cigarette users, tobacco users, dual users, and non-smokers, controlling for age, sex, race and ethnicity, education, BMI hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, and family history of heart disease. Smokers had a risk of heart disease 1.8 times higher than non-smokers, but the risk of heart disease for e-cigarette users compared to non-smokers was not statistically significant. So the study found a strong link between smoking and heart disease, but not e-cigarette use. Compared to smokers, The risk of heart disease to exclusive e-cigarette users was 34% lower. The health benefits were only shown for exclusive e-cig users, however. Dual users showed no statistically significant decline in risk. Hark! Do you hear the public health organizations and activists jumping for joy about this research? Not likely, although they should. Here's a way for smokers to decrease their risk of heart disease 34% without having to battle their dependence on the most addictive drug on the planet. In fact, as we've covered, e-cigs also help former smokers reduce, if not eliminate, their nicotine use. And yet... Although the American Heart Association quickly bawled and blubbered about the finding of no benefit to dual users, they remained completely silent about the benefits of switching to vapes. In fact, their press release headlined, quote, No health benefits among adults who use both e-cigarettes and traditional cigarettes. And yet, they claimed, quote, the number of reported heart events was too low to draw definitive conclusions about the effects of exclusive cigarette use in the study's sample. Which is an outright lie! Because, like the CDC, they are not an organization of health or science. They're an organization with a political agenda. As Michael Siegel of the Tobacco Analysis blog wrote, The American Heart Association's irresponsible reporting of the results of this study should come as no surprise, as the organization has had a strong bias against vaping for the past decade. It is almost inconceivable to me that the American Heart Association would boast about the lack of health benefits for dual users while nearly ignoring the game-changing finding that switching from smoking to exclusive vaping appears to substantially reduce heart disease risk. For an organization whose mission is to reduce heart disease, their actions suggest exactly the opposite desire. The American Heart Association's continued demonization of vaping is, we now know, contributing to an increase, not a decrease, in heart disease because it is discouraging smokers from switching to vaping. And remember, Siegel is a vociferous anti-smoking activist. In fact, In this blog post, he reiterates his position that all stores selling nicotine products exclusively be barred to everyone under the age of 21. Initially, he had hit the ceiling over e-cigarettes, but then he studied the data and, like a good rationalist, changed his mind. If the results of this study, on top of the mountain of previously collected data, were actually recognized by the FDA, it would completely change their approach to approving vaping products. Instead, the FDA claims no benefit to vaping over smoking, which justifies their restrictions on vaping products on the basis of e-cigarette use by the young. And yet, they seem hell-bent on continuing to deny applications for all new systems and all flavors other than tobacco, which will have a massive adverse effect on the market, spur on a dangerous black market, and increase disease rates by discouraging smokers from switching to vaping, and causing many ex-smokers to return to smoking. Not to mention continuing the trend of discouraging the youth from vaping, which will only cause them to start smoking not swear off nicotine altogether. It's almost enough to make you wonder if they're secretly in the back pocket of big tobacco. If the American Heart Association, the CDC, and the FDA really cared about the science, they would immediately stop everything they're doing on this issue and do a complete reevaluation of the benefits of vaping products to adult smokers. The next time they screech at you to follow the science, see if they've changed their minds on this yet. It's actually refreshing to see at least one senator wanting to rein in ridiculously long copyright terms. Josh Hawley just introduced a bill to shorten the copyright term to 56 years. And yes, this would apply retroactively. Cue pearl clutching by Disney as they see Mickey Mouse sauntering into the public domain. Currently in the United States, the term of copyright is one of the longest in the world. At 70 years after the death of the author, or if a work for hire, 95 years after publication, or 120 years after creation, whichever is shorter. BECAUSE NO ONE WOULD EVER WANT TO CREATE ANYTHING IF IT WENT PUBLIC DOMAIN ANY SOONER THAN 2117! The copyright term was extended to its current limits in 1998 with Orrin Hatch's Copyright Term Extension Act, also known as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act and the Sonny Bono Act. Previously, under the Copyright Act of 1976, The term was life of the author plus 50 years, or 75 years for a work for hire. Without the extension, Mickey Mouse would have entered the public domain in 2004. As it is, the character in his initial cartoon short, Steamboat Willie, is set to enter the public domain in 2024, although later cartoons themselves would of course retain their copyrights until expiration. By the way! That 1976 act was ITSELF an extension of copyright that happened because Mickey Mouse was set to go PD in 1984. It's all about the mouse. Hawley's Copyright Clause Restoration Act shortens the term to 56 years and makes the change retroactive for all companies with a market cap over $150 billion. Any content held by such a company would become public domain if created before 1966. This is where the bill might run into constitutional problems. From what I can tell, the only company with that big a market cap is Disney. Next biggest seems to be Sony, with a market cap of $105 Also possibly Amazon, although it's unclear whether or not it actually owns the copyrights to its original programming, and whether its ownership of MGM applies to it or MGM, which has a much smaller market cap there seems to be similar ambiguity with NBC Universal. Still, the rest would fall into the public domain from this year forward. It's a much-needed change, unfortunately it's become embroiled in a different battle. Coming on the heels of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ending Disney's special tax status, which was put in place to encourage Walt Disney to build his City of the Future, Epcot Center, although it bears the same name, bears no resemblance to Disney's proposed city. This itself came on the heels of Disney protesting the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which has been extremely dishonestly dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, even though the bill says nothing of the kind. DeSantis said, quote, The age of Republican handouts to big business is over. Oh, if only. Thanks to special copyright protections from Congress, woke corporations like Disney have earned billions while increasingly pandering to woke activists. It's time to take away Disney's special privileges and open up a new era of creativity and innovation. The House version of the bill is sponsored by Jim Banks of Indiana, who wrote in a letter to Disney CEO Bob Chapek, Given Disney's continued work with a communist Chinese regime that does not respect human rights or U.S. intellectual property, And given your desire to influence young children with sexual material inappropriate for their age, I will not support further extensions applicable to your copyrights, which should become public domain." But the embroilment with Don't Say Gay means that any support Holly might have otherwise had from Democrats will likely not materialize. And since Republicans don't have a majority in the Senate, and many Republicans are in the back pocket of the entertainment industry anyway, the bill, unfortunately, might be dead on arrival. Especially with the same sort of dishonesty creeping up from all corners of the left, with some claiming he wants to undo copyrights back to 1909 instead of 1976, and some claiming he wants to strip Disney of ALL copyrights. Still, it's nice to have confirmation that Democrats, despite their rhetoric, love the big corporations and the monopolies and special privileges they heap on them. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to dieselize this week's Biggest Bogun-Emitter. And this week it goes to the U.S. District Court for Kansas, who said they're just fine with government surveilling everything over a ten-week period. Nope, no constitutional problems here that we can see! The surveillance wasn't about drug cartels, weapons trafficking, human trafficking, or any of the usual excuses. It was, get this, theft of public money. Quote. Suspecting that defendant Bruce Hay had falsely claimed he was disabled to receive disability payments, federal agents surveilled him without a warrant to obtain evidence of his physical capabilities. The agents installed a pole camera on public property across the street from his residence and recorded nearly 10 weeks' worth of footage. So yes, this was a specially installed camera, trained right on his residence, made specifically to surveil him, which absolutely should have required a warrant under the Fourth Amendment. Members of the Veterans Administration Office of the Inspector General installed the camera to observe not just public property, but Hayes' private property, including his porch, front yard, and driveway. It was motion-activated, and could be and was remotely controlled by OIG agents operating its pan-zoom tilt functions." Lawyers for Hay argued that this isn't allowed under the Supreme Court's Carpenter decision, but the Kansas federal court found that Hay had no reasonable expectation of privacy, not because he was on public property at the time, but because he was viewable from public property. "...the poll camera could not view inside Hay's house. The camera could only capture the front of his residence, an area plainly visible to the public. Under Jackson, then, Hay lacked a reasonable expectation of privacy in the area viewed by the camera, so the poll camera surveillance was not a search under the Fourth Amendment. Hay contends Jackson does not control the outcome of the case after Carpenter v. United States, where the Supreme Court found an expectation of privacy in historical cell site location records because Carpenter upended Jackson's reasoning. Hay argues that, under Carpenter and the concurring opinions in U.S. v. Jones, he had a reasonable expectation of privacy in his movements over time, and he urges this court to find that the prolonged poll-camera surveillance here invaded that privacy expectation. While Hay does not expressly use the term, his argument is premised on a mosaic theory of the Fourth Amendment, under which law enforcement activities that are not searches in isolation may nevertheless become a search when viewed in the aggregate. They got around that by saying that Carpenter only applied to cell phone signals and totes did not apply to visual surveillance, even though that's much more invasive than tracking one's cell phone. Hopefully Hay will appeal to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, but there's no precedent in that circuit other than Jackson, and they might stick their heads in the sand as well, leaving the Supreme Court as his only realistic prospect. On a tangential note, one wonders how much money was spent on this investigation compared to what it would have cost to just pay his disability. The VA is notorious about using any excuse to deny someone. In one case, a woman was denied because they found a picture of her on social media SMILING. In reality, disabled people come in all forms. Some can walk fine on some days, but not on others. Some have seasonal debilitations. Some have ways of managing their disability that applies to their home and surroundings, but affects their ability to move longer distances or over longer periods of time. Ten weeks of watching someone in the area around their home has nothing to do with whether or not they're disabled. This was nothing but a transparent excuse to be their usual bullies, which they wouldn't have been able to do without this blatant constitutional violation. Which is one big reason those rights exist in the first place. Going back to a more relevant issue, if they can spend ten weeks actively surveilling someone and operating pan-zoom tilt on a camera, why can't they spend a couple hours getting a warrant to do so? By the way, if a neighbor had done exactly the same thing, he could and would have been prosecuted in court. And reading over the decision, and researching other aspects of the case, I didn't see any indication that they actually found any reason to think he was lying about his disability, other than some days he can seem to get around pretty good. Which is why the mosaic view of the Fourth Amendment, which the Court rejected, is so important. So all of that makes the United States District Court for the District of Kansas this week's Biggest Bogany Matter. Now, wait, can this be true? Our first Silver on Award in over a year! Usually we give out like three to five of these every year, so this has been a dry spell. But it just has to be given out when someone said the thing! And this week, someone said the thing! It goes to Elon Musk, who said the thing! Did I mention he said the thing? Oh, I should tell you what it is, shouldn't I? Yeah, he called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act Overzealous and a Plague on Humanity! Can I get a WOOT? Responding to a tweet from Slashdot regarding the copyright term reversal we covered earlier, Musk backed up the idea, tweeting, Current copyright law, in general, goes absurdly far beyond protecting the original creator. Overzealous DMCA is a plague on humanity. Yes, he's for getting rid of the ENTIRETY of the DMCA! Okay, all sensible people are, but it's rare to see it coming from someone of Musk's stature. It should be said, the DMCA has nothing to do with the current copyright term. It says how online services should respond to copyright takedown notices. By absolutely tearing up the common law concept of conduit protections with regards to copyrights, it specifies the hoops online services have to jump through to maintain safe harbor protections. Just look over the history of this podcast for numerous examples of the DMCA being abused, and why this abuse is actually the very reason it exists. It doesn't have anything to do with protecting copyrights, which can still be dealt with in the usual ways, it's about making it exceedingly difficult for competing content makers to function. New websites for user-generated content need extensive legal teams, and users constantly have to deal with bogus DMCA claims that are there not for any copyright reasons, but to stop free speech and public participation. This tweet comes at a time when lawmakers are actually considering making the DMCA more strict, making it mandatory for online services to implement or subscribe to expensive content filters. And now that Musk is taking over Twitter, the DMCA is going to become very relevant to his business model. Time will tell what, if anything, Musk does about it, but at least we have it as a prominent part of this discourse. So enjoy your shiny new silver clue on Musk, and hey, you want another one? How about getting behind right-to-repair? I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and, most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's precompensate this week's Idiot AND IT'S ANOTHER ONE FOR JOE BIDEN AND THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION, WHO HAVE DECIDED TO COUNTER RUSSIA'S AGGRESSION, RESTRICTIONS ON SPEECH, AND PROHIBITIONS ON COMMERCE WITH... AGGRESSION, RESTRICTIONS ON SPEECH, AND PROHIBITIONS ON COMMERCE. Wow. Biden a hypocrite. Who'd a thunk? Biden, via senior administration official whose name was redacted, so way to stand behind your words there, said that there were going to be more sanctions on Russia, and also additional steps taken to implement Quote Some of you have reported on the lies upon lies that are spread on these mouthpieces of the Kremlin, such as claiming the people of Bucha were not killed until days after Russia left the region, or that the placement of dead Ukrainian bodies was staged, or that the brave Ukrainians defending their country are actually the aggressors. After today... No US company can be in the business of funding or supporting the disinformation machine that masks the truth of Putin's barbaric invasion behind lies and deceit. There will be no safe havens in the Russian economy if Putin's invasion continues." How making things an even bigger hell for the Russian people is supposed to affect Putin's ability to wage war went unexplained. No word on how spurring on the worst inflation in 50 years here at home is supposed to achieve that either. But this is what sanctions always do. They do nothing to punish the enemy state, and instead punish the people of that country who are generally blameless and, by extension, hurt businesses and people back home, too. It's just one more case of the private sector being used as a tool of foreign policy, economic ramifications be damned. As bad as Trump was, at least he gave us a little bit of a break in that regard. But with Biden, It's back to the Obama-Bush-Clinton empire, using war and sanctions as an excuse to suppress points of view they don't like, shouting down opposition with a narcissistic, psychopathic phrase, if you're not with us, you're against us. Never mind the outright hypocrisy of battling control-freakish authoritarianism with more control-freakish authoritarianism. It's not quite as bad as it is in Germany where they've basically made it illegal to draw the letter Z, but give it time. The First Amendment protects Americans from punishment from expressing ideas, no matter how heinous or triggering to politicians. The parallels to the Cuba sanctions are unavoidable and undeniable. It harkens back to twenty sixteen when Jeff Flake said to Reason's Nick Gillespie quote These aren't sanctions on Cubans, these are sanctions on Americans. When others who I normally agree with, Marco Rubio and others, say these latest moves by the President are a concession to the Castros or to the regime, they're wrong. It's not a concession to allow your own population to travel. That's an expression of freedom. Not to mention the fact that, in the case of both Cuba and Russia, one of the big issues is the lack of a free market. You combat an unfree market with a freer market, not a less free one. And maybe if Russians had a freer market, and better access to finances and the means of raising them, they'd be in a better position to protest Putin's war effectively and safely, something they can't do right now. It's also plain idiotic when the anonymous coward says, quote, "...that's why we've denied access to critical markets that Putin needs to sell his goods. No expert is more important to Putin than oil. It's the main artery of his economy." and the EU is now on the cusp of joining the US, Canada, and the UK in cutting off this trade. Yeah, so now we have gas that's more than twice what it cost when Trump left office, because they did that without allowing more drilling for oil domestically. He also boasted that they were adding 2,600 visa restrictions. What's that supposed to do? As Flake pointed out all those years ago, quote, But at some point you have to say, what are our policies doing? Are they helping that regime stay in power? Are we giving them a convenient excuse? Is it more likely that we can settle some of these property claims under a different regime or in a different way? I think there is. But that assumes that Obama then and Biden now actually wanted to do that, which assumes facts very much not in evidence. So all of that makes Joe Biden and his administration this week's Idiot idiot, Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this... Oh, look, there's a man being indecently assaulted by nine foreign sailors, and he's still got a smile on his face. Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support, and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Frank Chodorov. Perhaps the removal of trade restrictions throughout the world would do more for the cause of universal peace than for any political union of peoples separated by trade barriers. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on commercial No derivatives 4.0 international license. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password.